0: Today, together, the sixth chapter of Il Chot Avodah HaGoim mm-hmm. of mishne Torah, Sefer Hamada, and this chapter will deal not with Avodah Zarah itself, but with some related prohibitions that philosophically and uh, in in the actions they are very much a part of Avodah Zarah. It's not one of the three categories of actions that. Actually constitute avodah zarah, but uh, rather were specified and called out particularly by the Torah as practices that um, they by HaKatuf, that they are avodah zarah. Um, Deoni is the beginning of that. So with that, we'll begin perek shishi. of ov oide'oni birsono bezadon hayav karet Any person who does an ov or ideoni, and Harambam is going to explain exactly what these things are, uh, birsono, wantonly and willfully, he is hayav karet. The punishment is karet, which is not something that a court down here does, but rather it's our belief that this person has cut himself off from Am Israel and it's destiny in the world to come. If this was done with two witnesses and after following a warning, the consequence is Sekila. If the person was not aware of what he was doing, he didn't know it was forbidden, or he didn't know what he was doing, he was missing one of the elements in knowledge of the action he was committing, then the consequence is the Hatat Kevua, a fixed Hatat, which means it's a Hatat that does not depend on how much the person can afford. Everyone brings the same. What is this of that we spoke about? Of, by the way, to remind you, is what Shaul Hamelech did in order to allegedly communicate with Shemuel HaNavi. It's when someone stands up and brings a known incense, and with known, I'd I'd add uh, in a footnote that some incenses have uh, the effect of causing hallucinations. The person takes a branch of myrtle and uh, and shakes it around the smoke. And says certain formulas that are known. And he does it in a sort of like a ventriloquist way. Until the person who is, uh, who is uh, consulting this of, hears as though there is a very faint voice coming from the ground, as though it was one a, a dead person, someone who has departed, who is talking to him very, very faintly, in a very low voice. It's almost, it's so faint that it's almost as if it's not uh, perceived, it's not perceptible to the ear. And then the person, the the illusion is, since this voice is so low, that the voice is coming directly to the mind. Some sort of telepathy. another way of doing masse is to take a skull of of a of a dead person to bring some incense to it and to div, do engage in some divination through it until some voice comes from under shihyo uh, and uh, un- under the the armpit of, and it's not clear to me if this is Shehiyo of the dead or of the person who is who is doing this ritual or of the person consulting. Shafalad meod, again, a very faint voice, umshivo, kol elu mas'eov and all of this is maaseov, and the consequences is hakilah. Kestad maase haideoni, what is the ideoni? Maniach esem of, she'smo yadua b'fiv, he takes the ideoni is a little different. They take a bone of a bird that was called Yadua. So, ideoni means the bone that comes from the bird whose name is Yadua. He brings some incense. And he does some, engages, engages in some other activities until he looks as though he's possessed. And then he speaks. The one who is doing the ideoni he speaks with his mouth things of the future it's as though he's consulting the the birds um on matters of the future there is a word in um in english um a-u-g-u-r i don't know how to pronounce it i think it's augur and uh augur uh, the the to augur or to augur meant in, uh, uh, ever since Roman times, to consult the birds about the future, uh, so this was something pretty pretty common. And all of these things are kinds of avodah And where do we know that it's forbidden to do them? So we know the consequences. Where do we know that Torah forbade it? Very explicitly, the Torah says, "Do not." Do not reach out to the Ovot or to the Ideonim. Gimal. There is another kind of Avodazara that was specified, was called out by the Torah, and that is the Molech. Harambam is going to explain here that the Molech, in, in the next laha is going to explain it's not as some other Rishonim believed, that uh, you'd actually sacrifice your child to the fire. But rather, this was extremely simplistic. You, the only thing you'd do would seem very inconsequential, which is just walking through the fire with your child without anything happening to either of you. And that's probably the reason why the Torah called it out. Because it was such a seemingly inconsequential act, nothing happened. Nothing happened after after doing that, and uh, and therefore you would think uh, there is nothing to it. Why not? But no, this is one of the most severely dealt with actions in the Torah, in the whole Torah, and it's called out several times by many pesukim. He who gives from his from his uh, 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 progeny to the Molech, willingly, wantonly, his, uh, he deserves karet. If he does it uh, but without knowing it's forbidden, then he brings hatat We explain what that is. If he does it following a warning with witnesses, punishment is sekila, asher yiten Molech, The Torah is very explicit also about the consequence that he who gives from his progeny, uh, from his descendants to the Molech, from his children to the Molech, he's going to be killed by stoning. And word that the Torah forbids it, the Torah says very explicitly, and from your Zedah, from your seed, in other words, from your children, you may not give to be passed before, or to be passed to the Molech. Further, it says later, let there not be with, among among you, in your people, someone who uh, passes their children through the fire. So how was this Molech ritual? You would light a large fire and take a few of your children. It wouldn't be many of your children. The whole point was to get into favor, to obtain some good luck. Some good luck with the God of the fire. And in, in order to do that, this was like a hedging kind of segula, a hedging kind of of activity, you wanted to be on the good side of the dark forces and of the light forces and of the fire forces, so you wouldn't give all of your children to the Molech, you would just give a few, this is the way that it had to be done, so you would take a few of your children, uh, give them to the priests that worship the fire, And once these priests assumed possession of these children, so it's as if now it's theirs, right, in a way, symbolically, then they lend the child back to the father so that the father passes the child through the fire. And it's actually the father of, of the child, the one who does the passing through the fire ritual. And then the father walks through, crosses the flames, holding the child on his arms, one time from one side to the other side. Not that he burns the child to the mole, to the malkh. <coughs> like it's done for another kind of avodah The other avodah is called adar it's not Molech. The Adar Melech Avodazara was the one that where they actually would burn the children. The Torah actually warns about both. The Torah says, That uh, the Torah warns Am Yisrael that some of the rituals of Erez Kena'an involved burning your children. But again, Molech is, I believe, it symbolizes the easiest, simplest, most inconsequential of all avodot, you don't have to come to to, to church every Sunday, you don't have to to commit to anything, it's just a matter of 10 minutes, you take your child, you pass through the fire, through that someone told you this gives you good luck, why not? So this is why the Torah is so strict about it. Because this is something so specific, if anyone does this same ritual for another avodazara, then it's not one of the ways by which you become liable. The only way by which someone would actually become liable for doing the molech is if these conditions are met. First condition, the father has to actually do this walking through the fire part after having uh, given his his child symbolically to the priests. If he only gave to the priests, but did not cross the fire. (coughs) Or if he crossed the fire and did not give his child to the priest. Or he gave his child to the priest, but then he crossed the fire, not in the way that they used to cross. This is not enough to be liable, to be guilty of Molech. As we mentioned, also another condition is that he only does this with a part of his of his descendants, not all of them. Because it says, when it, when it's talking about someone who committed the felony of molech, it says, for he has given from his descendants to the molech. So hachamim learn, mixato from his descendants, mean, means only part of them, and not all of his descendants. Now, what kind of descendants? People used to have a lot of children with a lot of wives, a lot of different statuses. What if you have children that are illegitimate? So it doesn't matter if it's, whether it's legitimate or illegitimate, Descendants, children, they all count for making you liable for Molech. <clears throat> <clears throat> it doesn't matter if it's your own sons or daughters, or their children, in other words, grandchildren. <clears throat> Any of his descendants, whoever it might be, counts. <clears throat> Given that they are his descendants, his seed. But if he does this with his parents, or his brothers, or sisters, or himself, he's patur, he's not liable. Furthermore, if he does it with one of his children or grandchildren, and the person was either asleep or blind, his patur. It seems to be that the point of this exercise was for the child <coughs> to see the fire and by seeing that fire somehow they'd become part of the team of the fire god so to speak and the fire god would protect the entire family. Now we come to a different subject Maseva and Evan maskit Maseva and Evan maskit are means of worship are things, instruments that people build in order to worship that are forbidden regardless of whom we are worshiping. Something very important that of course is becoming obvious through this halakhot is the main point of the Torah is that we worship Bore olam we worship God, His way. We don't worship Him our way, the way we think we should worship Him. We can't wake up one morning and decide that dancing in a certain way in the middle of the rain is going to be a big zehut, no matter how good our intentions might be. And it doesn't matter if we are meaning the God of Israel or Buddha or Shiva or any other God. It's totally relevant. The actions that we do for Bore Olam need to be what he prescribed to us. That's the point of having a Torah. The point of having a revelation of Har Sinai is that we are privy God's own instructions as to how to worship Him. Anything else falls outside Avodat Hashem. The Masseva, Masseva means an erected stony structure. A Masseva that the Torah forbade, the Masseva is forbidden, is any uh, structure that is meant for everyone to gather by it even if it is to worship God. This was what they used to do for Avodah Zarah. And you may not, and you may not uh, erect a Masseva, this kind of a stony structure, because Olam, God, Sane it. Let me point out the avot built Masevot. Yaakov Avinu made the very famous Maseva, V'yasem when he had the dream of the angels going up and down the ladder. And the Bieliao ben explains his Pasuk, V'yotakim Lecha Maseva Asher sane. Asher sane, not that God hates it in absolute terms, because then we'd have a question, if God hates it, why did the Avot do it? But rather, Asher sane, that God came to hate, that God... Now that we have the Torah, decided to reject. So asher saneh is in the more active sense, in the more deliberate sense, you may not uh, erect a masseva because God has come to reject it. That's the way Ben Amozeg explains his pasuk, which I think is beautiful, and explains why we shouldn't have the question with the avot. and whoever erects a gets malkut. V'chen even maskit Likewise, even maskit means a, a, a stone of maskit it has a few meanings. Tapuheza have a kasef, is a pasuk in, in Mishle. Maskit is a covering of something. It's also an ornament, something that makes something beautiful. And that is basically the two ways by which we explain what even maskit is. It's either something that was a very special stone, So, one step back. The function of this stone was to put it on the floor and for it to serve as the platform on which you would do Ishtahavaya, on which you bow down. So why is it called mesquite? Two reasons, or three reasons. Reason number one, it was a very important stone, and once you were done with worshipping on that stone, you would cover it somehow. It would have some sort of a very fancy covering. That's why it's called mesquite. That's also from Benamozeg. Another meaning of masquit could be that they used to actually make it look very pretty. They used to make carvings on it, etc., etc. And another meaning of masquit could be <coughs> that the person on top of it, while doing ishtahavaya, he's the one covering this stone. So even maskit, even though you're bowing down to God on it, loke. This is forbidden, and you get Malkut Chaneh Mar. Ve'even Maskeid al Titenu be'al Zechem lishTa'avot Aleha. The Torah says, you may not have an even Maskeid in your land to bow down on it. Mi'penesha Ken Hayah, because this was what used to be done. Delich Avodah Zara, what they used to do for Avodah Zara. Le'aniyah, even le'faniyah lishTa'avot Aleha, to put to place some special stones, special platform before the Avodah Zara. On which to do the bowing down. Not only did they have the idol, but everything around it also had some kind of ritual significance, including the stone on which you bow down. So we don't do this for God. Uh, <clears throat> And the only way you'd be liable for it is not if you have a stone, but if you use that stone to do a full ishtahavayah, a full bowing down, and the full bowing down according to the Torah, the only way by which you can bow down. And by the way, we should be doing this according to Bam in our Amidah, whenever we pray three times a day, we should still be bowing down this way. Uh, Some people do it. The majority of the Jewish people today does not practice it this way. But the ishtahavaya was pishutya daim veraglaim. It was you go on the floor with your face, extending all of your limbs. Your hands are outstretched, your feet, your legs are outstretched, and your face down on the floor. That is ishtahavaya. Zain. So, where are we saying that? We may not have a stone on which to bow down everywhere but Bet HaMikdash. But in Bet HaMikdash, it's permissible to bow down to God on the stones. The Bet HaMikdash, the floor of the Bet HaMikdash was marble. It was made of stones. Because the Torah says, you may not do it in your land to bow down on it. In your land, in other words, the land that you can possess, that you can have a deed of ownership, a title on, you may not do so, but you can do it on the stones, of the carved stones that are in the Bet HaMikdash, because this is not anybody's land, it's the land of all of us. This is why it's, a, it's customary across all synagogues, says Arambam in his time, to place mats on the floor, whenever you have a floor made of stones in the synagogue, you'd put also a mat, some kind of a carpet, um, or some other kind of covering of, of straw. So that when people bow down the way that they used to bow down back then, which again, we somehow, for some reason, lost the tradition, uh, there'd be something separating between their face and the floor. And what happens if you go to a synagogue or somewhere and there is only uh, stones on the floor? By the way, the one time in which people still do some form of nowadays is for Yom Kippurim instead of avodah, we have four times in which we say what the kohanim used to do in bet and some communities have the custom of bowing down so that's uh, it's it's a good illustration for us to understand what we're talking about so if you don't have anything separating between the stones and your face two things that can be done harambam says one go somewhere else where it's not made of stone or shoche al sidomate or lean a little bit sideways so that the face is not directly against the stone Whoever does hishtahavaya to God not to God, to God on uh, artificially carved stones without extending his entire body which would be the full hishtahavaya this is not enough to get malkut there is no malkut, however Aval makino mardut, but he's subject to a discretionary corporal punishment of the bedin of the court. It's called makat mardut. Whenever we, the bedin cannot punish under the sentencing guidelines of the Torah, they still have some discretion sometimes to apply their own punishment that is called mardut. Aval zara, niskal. But if this is being done to a deity or to any other creature, to anyone other than God, then even if it's not the full kind of Ishtahavaya, extending your arms and legs, you already are doing some form of Ishtahavaya. This is one of the four universal actions that constitute avodah Zarah, and therefore, the moment that your face is against the ground, in honor of Avodah Zarah, you get Sekilah. Last two halachot. It's forbidden to plant any kind of tree in the entire area, by the Mizbeach or in the entire area of the Azarah, whether it's a fruit tree or a non-fruit bearing tree, even if it's for for um, noi, for artistic, aesthetic purposes, not for worship of any kind, it's forbidden and it's subject to markut. The Torah says, you may not plant to yourself any asherah, any kind of tree by the mizbeach that you are going to eventually make, says Moshe Tuam Israel. <speaking in Hebrew> this was a way of doing avodah zara. <speaking in Hebrew> People would plant trees next to the, the Mizbeach, next to the altar of the Avodazara, in order for people to know where to gather. It's also forbidden in the Betha Mikdash. Now, the Asur, I just just want to note, some people in this class have been. Um, have been paying sufficient attention to realize that Harambam doesn't always use the same language to forbid things. Sometimes it's Asur, sometimes it's Veloyase, sometimes it's Hayav Malkut, sometimes it's uh, Hayav Karet, and so on and so forth. The Asur, unaccompanied by anything else, for the most part means, unless the context otherwise requires, for the most part it means that this is an Isur mit Rabbanan. So the Asur, it's forbidden <clears throat> it's forbidden to build in the behammic Dash um some sort of a, a, a platform or a porsche like you have a porsche going leading to to a to a re- residential house right so it's forbidden to do one of those of wood uh, some sort of a um I'm looking for a word I think it's par- pargola. Um, some a, an, an erected structure made of, of wood that has a, a wooden uh, roof of some sort. Although this is wood that is made, it's it's already worked, it's developed wood. it's not a tree, right? So I'm not making a tree, I'm just making some sort of a canopy made of wood. It's wood and it's not a tree, although it's not a planted tree. Forbade it as... A, a precaution because the Torah says, the Torah did say any kind of tree. So Chachamim said, okay, so let's extend it to also include or let, let us forbid as a precaution also things made of trees like canopies of wood. Rather, all of those canopies and roofs of any kind that protruded from the buildings and the walls of the Bet HaMikdash were always made of stone, of rock, of granite probably, or of marble, and not from wood. And with that, we finish this chapter. We'll continue with zatashem tomorrow.